Welcome to another special edition of the ACG Analytics Podcast. This is David Metzner, Managing Partner. We are continuing our podcast series from home during the coronavirus pandemic. As a result of the following is a lightly edited version of a policy call we have already held. We will now proceed with the podcast. This is David Metzner with ACG Analytics. Welcome to our weekly macro call. Our macro note comes out on Tuesday policy percentage piece on Wednesday, and then we wrap up our, our macro thoughts on Thursday. But of course, we are here a big week with unemployment numbers coming out, Congress struggling to come up with a new CARES Act, and I underline the word struggling still. Joining me on the phone today is Chris Serwinski that will lead the discussion. Chris is our lead international analyst. I'm joining him is John East, our head of research. With that introduction, I turn it over to Chris Thanks, David, and thanks everybody for joining us as always. As you said, this is a pivotal week here in Washington, D.C. It feels like we've been negotiating this package for several, several months now, when in fact we've we've had serious negotiations for just over two. I know John East, who is on the phone with us, as you said, has been covering this very closely. He's losing sleep over it, in fact. John, how would you characterize the state of the talks today? Have we made any progress since we spoke last Thursday on it? Well, I'd say we've only been having serious negotiations for a week, quite frankly. There was confusion a week ago as to who was actually leading the negotiations on the Republican side. Two days ago, we put out a note expressing increasing pessimism over the status of the talks. Well, you heard it here first. I'm about to write another note, but I am more pessimistic than I was two days ago when I wrote that note. I don't think we're going to get a deal by tomorrow. I I just don't see how it can all be pulled together. And therefore, it goes into the next week. And at that point, there's increasing reluctance on the part of the White House to let negotiations continue. Instead, there is repivoting to focusing on what the president can do through executive action. What exactly do you think he could do through executive action? Well, the legality of it is sort of up in the air, but the Chief Justice and the opinion that came out a few weeks ago on the DACA program, which is the deferred action for immigrant children that President Obama invoked by executive authority, suggests that the president can do something illegal, and the Chief Justice acknowledged that what President Obama did, in his opinion, was illegal, but you still have to go through a legal process to undo an illegal act, and the opinion argued that the process that the White House went through was not sufficient, or I should say the administration went through. So that has led the White House to believe that it could extend a forbearance on foreclosures. Of course, that only affects federally backed mortgages. The White House believes it can have a payroll tax holiday through executive action. And the president believes that in one of two ways, it can extend unemployment benefits, either through a loan program through the Department of Labor or by directing funds from the CARES Act that have already been appropriated by Congress but not yet drawn down by the states to allow states to set their own unemployment numbers, whether that's 500 a week or whether that's something else. So they're basically looking at pools of money that have been appropriated but haven't been in there scouring for that. I mean, is there a number? I read this morning that so far they think they've found around a trillion dollars that they could reappropriate. Does that number sound right to you? 
Well, I haven't read what you read in terms of all the pots of money, but what I understood from listening to people in the White House a few days ago was they believed there was at least $80 billion in one account that could be redirected for unemployment benefits. One thing that's been interesting to me, though, John, is you know, you're talking about the Republican negotiators being Meadows and Mnuchin. Notably absent from that is Senate Majority Leader McConnell. Why do you think he's been so absent in these talks, and do you expect that to change at any point? Well, I think it's an odd negotiating strategy, quite frankly, but McConnell's up for re-election. We have a hopelessly divided Republican caucus. What happened to McConnell in 2008 was that he backed the relief bill that got targeted as bailouts. And Senator Schumer actually was orchestrating the campaigns that cycle on the Senate Democratic side. And he spent millions of dollars attacking McConnell in Kentucky for something McConnell voted for, didn't really like, but really was directing a lot of money towards New York. And I think that really permanently soured the relationship between the two. I don't I don't think McConnell wants to get tagged by this. I don't see, quite frankly, though, how it's avoidable because McConnell sets the agenda. And so what is very worrisome to me about the talk is you can have Mnuchin, you can have Meadows in the room trying to frame a deal with Schumer and Pelosi. But at the end of the day, if they come back, I mean, they're thinking, you know, on the Democratic side that they don't have to put liability protections in the bill. They're thinking on the Democratic side, they can jack up the number or hold fast to their number, although there's been some softening on that point. But bring a deal to McConnell, and McConnell can just look at it and go, no, I'm not bringing that. Is that a likely scenario here, that Mnuchin is going to cut a deal with the Democrats? It seems like you're saying that's very unlikely because McConnell just wouldn't back that. Well, I'm not saying it's unlikely. McConnell could frame it and go, look, this is the deal that President Trump and the Democrats put together and try to wash his hands of it. But if you go too far down the road and there's an absolute rebellion in the Republican caucus, there is not an official caster rule, which means that the majority of your caucus has to be supporting something before you bring it to the floor if you're the leader of either party. But there is an unofficial rule, and it's kept 90-some-odd percent of the time. And so it's very worrisome to have the Senate leader not part of the negotiation. And for the other side to think that because he's not in the room, that they can craft a deal that otherwise would not be crafted without any real consultation at all. And so that increases the risk that people over aim. We focus a lot on the Republican side here. We're, we're focusing a lot on Meadows, Mnuchin, the White House, McConnell. I mean, for Pelosi and Schumer, but I'm going to focus on Pelosi. I mean, is there any worry for her being blamed on this if we don't get a deal? Surely not budging at all, right? I mean, I've seen that they've decreased their ask on postal service, right? So from $25 billion to $10 billion. You just mentioned that there's been some softening on this top-line number. But to me, anyways, the Republicans have given a lot more so far in this negotiation than, than the Democrats have. And we talk about how the Republicans could stand to suffer from no deal. I mean, it seems to me that Democrats also should have some sort of fear of that, right? Well, you know, I don't like anyone's negotiating posture, really. I mean, the other day when Speaker Pelosi was asked what the number should be, she repeated $3.4 And then that led Mnuchin, when he heard that, to say, that's ridiculous. So that shows how far apart they are. There's not an agreement on the top-line number. I think all sides actually have blame here. Senator McSally offered a proposal last week that said, can we just extend the $600 enhanced unemployment benefits for one week, nothing else, no strings attached, and Schumer blocked it. 
I think that was really horrible for a lot of people. But the Republicans sat on a bill for two and a half months. And I understand a lot of the reasons they did it. And I think that they were right to wait, but they waited too long. And so when the Democrats in the House passed a bill May 15th or so, and we've blown past all the unemployment deadlines, effective and statutory, and we've blown past when Congress has been supposed to recess in both chambers, they've both been playing the traditional D.C. political game as if there's not massive suffering out and as if it's not an election year. So I think there's blame to go all around. You know, behind me here on my television screen, I see that McConnell is speaking right now and he's pushing back on the amount of debt that we're adding. So, so, okay. So look, we've, we've discussed a lot of the context surrounding it. Now to the imperfect science that is putting some sort of, you know, metric or probability on outcomes here. So in your mind anyways, what's the probability that we reach a deal by the end of this week and we vote on it next week? The next day is going to be very critical, but I am increasingly pessimistic. I think we're not going to get a deal by tomorrow. Yesterday, the negotiators only met for two hours, and one hour of that was about the post office. Okay, of all of the different issues facing us and facing the Americans financially and otherwise, the post office has been chronically underfunded since the 1970s. This is not the forefront of negotiations, and really they should be meeting for 12 hours a day, not two. And so I don't believe we're going to get a deal by tomorrow. I think maybe there's a chance that something is announced on Monday so it can be shopped before the Senate caucuses and in the House early next week. But I think that's tough. So I'm going to say, you know, 40%. I know that people really want to. I know that the negotiators want to, but I don't see how to bridge their ideological differences. I think it's getting less and less likely, quite frankly. So I don't know. The second thing that I would ask, then, if your base is that it's a 40% chance that we get a deal this week, so as in we're not going to get a deal this week, is then your base case that we get it by the Republican lunch on Tuesday in order to hopefully pass it by the end of the week next week? The goal is to get it done. I know they want to get it done. I don't think they can get it done. I really don't. But I think we're going to have votes, but the votes may just be posturing votes to put people on the record. All right. Well, finally here then, obviously you were very pessimistic, but to you anyways, what would signify that we really are at a standstill? Like it's getting worse. What would signify that to you? What should we look for? A couple things. One is if the White House announces it's just going to go through with executive orders. Another is I'm listening to Meadows very closely. Meadows appears to be the most exasperated. And also if McConnell starts bringing a bill to the floor that is not going to pass, but is going to put everyone on record and start trying to apportion blame on the Democratic side. All right, so we'll be following that closely then. John, I wanted to clarify one thing with you to make sure that you know our audience understands what our view is. We're not expecting a deal this week. Um, you said that it's a 40% chance that, you know, we have something by Friday that can then be voted on next week. Now, like I was pushing on earlier, if that doesn't happen, we do not have an agreement by Friday, what happens next week? Does your base case then shift to Trump taking this into his own hands and moving forward with executive actions and in abandoning negotiations? Or does then your base case shift to just an expanded timeline for negotiations? Well, there is no longer really any deadline for the end of negotiations because we've blown past all of the usual deadlines that would have forced Congress to act in ordinary times. I think that, frankly, it looks like Pelosi, I just saw a statement just now, is digging in her heels. Meadows looks like he's increasingly ready to abandon talks. At that point, we would probably see some executive action on the part of the White House, and then talks would have to be reset. So we'd essentially go back to square one, and I can't tell you exactly what that looks like. Okay, so understood. 
Thank you very much. Look out for our research coming up the rest of this week, and we'll talk to you next week. I would like to thank everyone for joining us today. I'd also like to thank our team of analysts for offering their unique insights. You can also follow us on Twitter for further insight into capital markets and the political economy. If you wish to reach out for more information, please email us at research at acg-analytics.com. Everyone have a good day. Thank you very much.